Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Thanks, Ross. Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Ben. It's great that we can be here this morning and have a look at this passage. If you've been around at Southside for a little while, we were going to start this passage at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. So we were going to look at this at March in March last year. So this has been a long time coming for us to get into this book, which is exciting. And I know some of us have been looking forward to that. Let's, uh, let's pray first and then we'll, we'll dig into this passage and we'll see what God says to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the joy and the privilege that it is to meet together. God, what a gift it is to be in the same room, to open up your word, to hear you speak, to sing, to encourage one another. We pray, Father, that as we gather this morning, that you would speak to us and that we would have ears to hear and hearts to understand. We pray that you would give us this sense right now that you are present with us, and we pray that you would change us Pray that you do a work this morning among us, that we may be different people walking out than the ones who walked in. And we pray this for your glory and the good of your people everywhere. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, throughout history, there have been some weird and wonderful ways that people have tried to tell the future. You know, from drawing straws to rolling dice to looking at stars or turning over cards. But uh, this week, I was reminded of one of the weirdest ways that people tried to figure out the future, and it was from ancient Rome. What they did was they'd get a bunch of chickens together and the chickens would tell them the future. So the way that it would work is, and it was often when uh, you'd go into battle, they would get their chickens together and then they would throw a bunch of seed to their chickens and depending on how the chickens reacted, gave them their cue of what the future would hold. So if the chickens acted aggressively on this seed, then they would go and fight the battle. They would be aggressive, but if the chickens refused, then they would refuse to go into battle. Now, it was said of one king or ruler that he tried doing this, and he had a 50% success rate. The first time it worked, because chickens like seed, and the second time it didn't, and he died on the battlefield. Now, I'm not saying that we should get, bring that back in. I mean, you might want to, if you have chickens, maybe try it. I don't think it's a good idea, though, to, to try and get our chickens to tell us the future, But, you know, it's chickens. There's also other weird ways that people throughout history have tried to tell the future. And while it is weird, and while I think we could all acknowledge that, I think we do understand why people would want to figure out the future. Right? Because if we could figure out the future, that would solve so many things for us. That would solve, you know, where we're going to invest. That would solve what we would do next year, next month. It would solve lots of things, but it would also solve the impact that the future has on us. Right, Because the future is something that's so uncertain and often so unknown that the impact on us is kind of stress-inducing. For some of us, it's anxiety-producing. For some of us, when we think or consider about the future, it's enough to cripple us a little bit. And so if we could figure out the future, we would do that, but we can't. And so this morning, since we can't figure out the future, we want to ask this question, does God speak into this space? Does God give us any guidance about what the future holds for us or how we're supposed to go about the future? Does God help us? Does God strengthen us? What does God say when it comes to our future? 
Well, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to enter into Deuteronomy, as we've said, but we're entering into a time and place where God's people were asking similar questions, right? They were thinking about the future, and here's the reason why. We do have to set the scene a little bit of where we're up to in the story so far of the first five books of the Bible. So in Genesis, God created the world. He, people sinned against God. He chose a people, and that people grew up to be the nation of Israel. Then we get to Exodus, right? Obviously, I've missed some stuff, but we get to Exodus, and God's people, Israel, are in slavery. They're under the slave, uh, they're under Pharaoh, the great king, and they're in slavery. And so, what does God do in great power and great might? He brings them out of slavery. You know, the story, we've seen the miracles, we've heard about what God does there. And then the kind of the greatest one, well, one of the ones near the end is crossing the Red Sea. Now, here's the picture of the brief overview. They cross the Red Sea, they get to Mount Sinai, also called Mount, si- Mount Horeb, and they're going to the Promised Land. Now, that's the first five chapters of the first five books of the Bible. And on the surface, it sounds really good, doesn't it? But you dig deeper into the first five books of the Bible, and what you begin to see is this pattern that just repeats over and over again that God is good and people aren't that good. In fact, it was three days out of the Red Sea where they started, uh, out of, sorry, Egypt, where they started complaining. And we kind of get a hint of this at the beginning of Deuteronomy. Okay, so in chapter 1, verse 2, we see it takes 11 days to get from Mount Horeb to the Promised Land. Right, that's how long it was supposed to take, 11 days. And they did that, but we see in verse 3 in Deuteronomy that where we pick the story up, Moses is preaching the second time at the Promised Land, and it was 40 years later. Okay, so you can see that they got there one time, and then they got there a second time. And so you kind of ask the question, what went wrong? How did that happen? Well, we'll explore that again today, but you can imagine that the people sitting on the grass looking at the promised land the second time round are asking this question, what's going to happen next? Right, what does the future hold? What's going to happen next? Because this time round, they're sitting on the grass looking at the promised land, it's kind of like the picture is almost across the road is the promised land, and they're thinking, are we going to get there? What does it mean for us to pursue life? How are we going to get into the promised land, and does God speak into this to give us guidance about what the future holds? And it's here that we see Moses step up and speak. It's here Moses begins to speak. Now, again, the context a little bit, Moses is God's leader, okay, of God's people, but he's not just a prime minister or a king, he's more of a shepherd. He's their pastor. And Deuteronomy, as we'll see, it's not just narrative. Deuteronomy is a sermon. This is Moses' last sermon before his people go into the promised land. And he's speaking to his people about what the future holds. And today, as we pick up the first three chapters of this, we're going to see him address three simple things as they think about the future. Three simple things. And the first one is, let's learn from the past. Right, that's where we begin. Now, if you've got your Bibles in this series, I'd love to encourage you to bring them along. I'll do my best to have it on the screen, but if you've got them there, have them open in Deuteronomy, because we see this all begin in chapter 1, 6 to 8, where Moses starts speaking, let's learn from the past. And the first thing he says in this is, remember, God was going to give us this land. Okay, so he's going back to the past, the first time at the promised land, and he says, remember, God was going to give us this land. You can see it there in verse 8. Then, from verse 9 to 16, he splits this tribe up into smaller groups, thousands, hundreds, fifties, puts leaders over them. Sounds really wise, but what I love about what Moses says about this, and and just look at how Moses thinks about his people. Right, you see this in verse 9, where he says, 
you are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. Verse 12, he says, how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? And so in this wisdom move of putting leaders over the people, how does Moses think about his congregation? You know, what are the words he uses to describe his church? They are too heavy a burden for me. Now, don't worry, none of the pastors here at Southside would ever say that about you. But this is how Moses feels about his people. Now, why is it that he feels this about his people? Well, let's keep reading. Let's see, because one of the things that he's going to get them to learn from the past is that rebelling against God leads to death. And that's one of the main reasons I think there's such a burden. Now, we pick this story up in verse 20 after he breaks them into groups. And he's talking about the first time at the promised land. Okay, 11 days to the promised land. And he's talking about what went wrong and what happened. And we pick it up in verse 20 because he says this. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord God, your God has given you this land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Now, he repeats the line there that we need to hear. God is giving you this land. Okay, the God that brought you out of Egypt in great power and great might, now he's giving you this land. And what do they have to do to get the land? They just have to go in and take it, right? It's not, this is not a complex thing. It's very simple. He's saying, God's giving you this land. Go in and take the land. So what do the people do? Well, we see this in verse 22. Then all, the, then all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us. Now, that might sound like a good idea, okay? And in today's world, we would probably do a similar thing with surveillance everywhere and CCTV all over the place. This is a pretty good idea. You know, this feels good. Let's just check out what the land is like before we go into it. However, this is not modern warfare, and this is not happening today. This is in the ancient world where God is speaking to his people, right? So it's not two nations against each other. This is the God of the universe versus the gods of the other nations, this is the king of the world versus other kings. And so for God to say, go in and take the land, for them to reply, let's send spies first, is actually saying, we don't trust you, God. But is that what happens? Is that actually what they're saying? Well, let's keep reading and see. See, in verse 25, they come back and they say, it is good land that the Lord, our God, is giving us, right? We, we knew that. It's the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. So the spies say what God has already said. They repeat it. God is giving us this. It's good land. But what happens? Verse 26. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and you said, and this is wild, they say the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. They see the presence and the potential of the promised land and their enemies, and it fills them with fear and a little bit of stupidity because they say God hates us. And that's why he brought us out of slavery. Right? We, we have to remember that story. They were slaves. They didn't have a good in Egypt. But they're saying, God hates us. He brought us out of slavery just to kill us over here. It's crazy that they would say this. 
And I think what's also just as crazy is how Moses responds. Because if, if that was any of us, I think we would go, man, you're a burden too heavy for me. I'm going to do something else. But how does Moses respond? Well, we see this. He says in verse 29, Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. They don't want to go into the land. They see the presence and the potential of the enemies and they don't want it. But Moses reminds them, you've seen this. You've seen what God is like. You've seen what God has done in the past. He brought you in great power out of Egypt. He carried you as a father carries his son through the wilderness and now you're here. He's good. And he's for you. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. So you can go. He's giving you this land. It is a beautiful thing that he says. He wants these people to know they can trust in God. And yet, how do they respond? Well, verse 32, in spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. So they saw the presence and the potential of their enemies. And despite seeing what God has done in the past, they were more afraid of the enemies in the promised land then they understood the presence and the power of God, and so they didn't trust Him. They didn't trust Him. They rebelled against God. And rebellion against God is what we see right throughout the Bible. It it has this word throughout the Bible, which is just simply sin. And sin is this attitude, this heart attitude, that I don't trust God. I hear what He says, and I know who He is, but I just don't want to do what He says. And so Israel sinned against God. And like Adam and Eve sinned against God, the heart attitude they had in the Garden of Eden where they didn't want to do what God said, here again, history is repeating in Israel, sin against God. They don't trust Him. They don't want to do what He says. And so what do we see? What happens to them? Well, this is what Moses wants them to learn. This is the lesson from the past. Rebelling against God always leads to death. It always does. There's no way that we can get around that. It always leads to death. And we see this from verse 34 to 36. Despite getting to the promised land, God hears what they say. He's angry and says, no one from this evil generation will see the land. Sin leads to death. And not just the death of this generation who is at the promised land, but also we saw that earlier, this is something that shadows the whole book, but also Moses' death in verse 37. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also and said, you shall not enter it either. The generation's not going into the promised land because their sin leads to death. Moses, the leader of this people, he too won't enter into the promised land because sin leads to death. And then if you were to read the end of chapter 1, what you would see is they try to figure out the problem of sin, but it leads to more death. And this is what Moses is pointing out to them. Rebelling against God always leads to death. That is the punishment for sin. The wages of sin is death. From Adam and Eve right throughout the Bible, we see this consistently that when people don't trust God, the God who is good, the God of power, the God who created them, it will result in death. And so this whole generation who watched everything unfold from Egypt, the Red Sea, through the wilderness, now the promised land, they're told, you're going to die. You're not going in. And Moses, who has led this people, he too will die and not go in. And so for Moses, this is where he begins. He wants them to know that whatever the future holds, right, whatever tomorrow brings with it, you have to know this, sin leads to death. 
Rebelling against God will always, always, always lead to separation from Him and death. But you see, as we are working through our way through Moses' sermon, it's not just a lesson from the past that sin leads to death. The second thing Moses wants to do is he keeps working through the history of what happened is he wants them too to look to the grace of God. Right? So number one, learn from the past. Sin leads to death. But number two, we see look to the grace of God because you have a God that doesn't give up on his people. And he doesn't give up on his promises. And this is what we see. So chapter two comes about. We get into the second point of his talk. And in chapter two, it's interesting. Verse one, have a look at it. He says, then we turn back and set out towards the wilderness. Right, So you get this sense that the exodus is being reversed. They went through the wilderness to the promised land, but now they're going back into the wilderness. The punishment for their sin is death. But then get a load of verse 2 because it says this, Then the Lord said to me, You have made your way around this hill country long enough. Now turn north. God didn't give up on his people. He could have. He should have. I would have. (laughs) That's what I would have done as they're in the wilderness. Not my problem anymore. (laughs) Not my people anymore. But God doesn't give up on his people. He still is gracious to them. Grace is the undeserved gift. And he shows them grace by saying, let's let's get out of here. Let's go to the promised land. And he pours his grace out upon them. And we see this from chapter 2 through to chapter 3, that they're going to need God's grace to get into the promised land. And I love how he helps them see God's grace. Because he does it in two ways. Firstly, he shows them the other nations. Okay, so as we sort of saw before, the journey to the promised land, the first time was just kind of straight up. The second time around, they've got to go on this different type of journey. And I think they've got to go on the second type of journey because they've got to learn something deep within themselves. And as they're going on this second journey, God shows them something. And he shows them the way he provided for other nations. Right now, this is from chapter 2, verse 3 to 23, and you can see it there in your Bibles, but I've got some highlights of it because what he does here is he shows them how God cared for other nations. Right, so you've got the Edomites, you've got the Moabites, and you've got the Ammonites. And basically, in this section, the same pattern is for all of them. He says, don't take their land because I've given them their land. Right, so don't touch the Edomites' land, don't touch the Moabites' land, don't touch the Ammonites' land. Now, it it is interesting too, you also see with the Moabites and then the Ammonites that God gave them their land by giving them victory over giants. This is helpful for them to know. Okay, now God is showing here that he provides for other nations. So his grace isn't just on his chosen people. His grace is upon all nations leading them to where they are. You kind of see this actually, if you know the story of Acts 17, Paul preaches to the uh, in Athens, and there's just this line that he gives that in uh, verse 26 to 27, if you do want to have a look at it, um, where he says, God marked out boundaries for all the nations. And then there's this line that he did this so that they may seek him and find him because he's not far from any one of us. You can see that in Acts 17 if you want to find it as well. But, but this is what's happening in Deuteronomy. This is what we see in real time. God's saying, you see the Edomites? I I gave them that land. You see the Moabites? I gave them that land. You see the Ammonites? I gave them that land. Now, what's the point of this for Israel? What's the point of that? Why do they need to know that? Well, it's because they need to know that if God could care for other nations, then God can care for his chosen nation. 
And they're going to need to know that when they come up against these two big giants called Sihon and Og. Now, i got to confess, I love Sihon and Og. They're, they're just fun stories. Um, you see them, it comes up a lot in Deuteronomy. So chapter 1, in the opening section, he mentions Sihon and Og. But then we're going to see it a number of times throughout Deuteronomy. And it is interesting, Sihon and Og, because when you read a kid's Bible, um, which we've been doing a little bit lately uh, in our house, in kids' Bibles, the same stuff comes up. So you always get David and Goliath. You always get, uh, like, Noah generally comes up. Sometimes you get Moses crossing, you know, when he's put in that basket. Sometimes you get that. You always get Daniel in the lion's den. It's sort of the same stories that just keep coming up. And that's good. It's not a bad thing. But I've never come across a kids' Bible with Sihon and Og. And yet... You could argue that these two giants are more important to the story of Israel and the story of the Bible than Goliath. Sihon and Og are two big giants, right? Two big, scary giants. And their kingdoms are scary, right? So these are not people to be messed with. In fact, there's this little verse in chapter 3 that you can read. I don't have it on the screen there. But there's this little verse where it tells you Og's bed size. Bit of a weird piece of information but his bed size and you can see this if you are interested in verse 11 his bed is basically four meters long now if you're 1.8 meters you don't have a four meter long bed it's too hard to fit in your room and other problems but four meters long is a long bed and that's because this guy's a big king Sihon and Og are big giant kings and their kingdoms are scary and their armies are huge and God says, let's go take them. Right? That's what God says to Israel, a nation who have already been afraid before of big armies. So you see, they needed to learn the lesson that if God could provide for other nations, then God can provide for you. And that's what happens. This time round, they go in and they take the land. So they, they get Sihon's land. They defeat him. It's not even a battle. We see this in verse 31 where it says, The Lord said to me, See, I've begun to deliver Sihon and his country over to you. It's, just, it's not even a battle. He just does it. They just take it. And then we see in Og, chapter 3, uh, verse 2, he says, Don't be afraid of him, for I have delivered him into your hands along with his whole army and his land. Do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites who reigned in Heshbon. And so they go in and they get the land. They defeat the kingdoms. Now, how did they do this? Was it because they were good? Was it because they did all the right things? Of course it wasn't. They were rebellious people. We're going to see this right throughout Deuteronomy. They're stiff-necked people. The reason they had victory, though, over Sihon and Og was because God was gracious to his people. He didn't give up on them. He provided victory for them over Sihon and over Og. Now, side point here. If you're reading along in Deuteronomy, there are a few times where it comes up of what we might call holy wars. Something that people often have a problem with the book of Deuteronomy about, where God's people will wipe out whole nations. Okay, it comes up in this chapter, it comes up in chapter 7, chapter 12, and chapter 20. I'm not afraid to touch that, but we're not going to touch it every time it comes up. So in a few weeks' time, we will spend more time on that whole issue. Um, the reason we're not doing it here and now is because this point here and now is not about what happened to other nations, it's about how God was gracious to His people. You see, He should have wiped them out in the wilderness. Israel shouldn't have existed. Death should have come to all of them. 
and yet God is gracious to them, providing them victory over Sihon and Og. And I think in the very least you could say what we see again with Sihon and Og in their kingdoms is that sin leads to death. You rebel against God and it will always lead to death. Now, if this is a problem for you, if you can't get past this today, come and chat to me after the service because we can talk about this. But in a few weeks' time, I promise we'll talk about this fact. Right? But here we're seeing God's grace. Here we're seeing God not giving up on His people. And here we're seeing Moses' second point in his sermon. Number one, learn from the past. Rebellion always leads to death. Sin always does. Number two, look to God's grace. God doesn't give up on His people. But it's here we're asking the question, okay, so what's this got to do with the future? Right? What's, it got, what's this got to do with tomorrow or the next couple of months or next year? What has this got to do with what comes next? Well, this is where Moses goes. And we see this in the final point of his talk here where he talks about life in the future. And we pick it up from verse 21 where we see this. He says this, At that time I commanded Joshua, You have seen me with your own eyes. Sorry, you have seen with your own eyes. All that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you're going. So you see, they're like on the, it's like pointing across the road. God will do that again over there. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. Then the chapter ends with, as we saw in the Bible reading earlier, Moses pleading with God that he may go into the land, but God says enough, you're not going into the land. Why? Because sin leads to death. But what's the point here for Moses? What's he getting at here? Well, he's saying to Joshua, you saw what God did in the past, so you can be confident in the future. Our confidence for tomorrow lies in, it's grounded in God's actions and what he has done in the past. So you saw how God, with a mighty hand and great power, delivered his people out of Egypt. You can have confidence that he will, with a mighty hand and great power, lead you. You saw how God, like a father carries his son, carried you through the wilderness so you can be confident that God will carry you into the future. You saw God give you the land of Sihon and Og so you can be confident that he will give you the land into the future. You can be confident, you can be confident but it's grounded in what God has done in the past. Right? This is not like hypothetical. This is stuff Joshua's seen. This is stuff he's witnessed for himself. And so Moses is saying, whatever tomorrow brings for you, be confident that the God who did the stuff that you've already seen is with you tomorrow. Now as we finish up in chapter 3, and we see these points. So learn from the past, sin equals death. Look to God's grace. He doesn't give up on his people. And life in the future, confidence lies in God's actions. It's here that we ask this question, okay, so what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us who are sitting here in the you know, 21st century, figuring out, trying to figure out what this means for us? Well, as we dig in the Old Testament, it's important that we make sure we read it the way that God intends for us to read it. Okay, so we've got to be careful that we're not just reading the Old Testament and straight away going, what does this mean for me? I've got to go out and find a guy called Sihon and another guy called Og and kill them, right? That's not what this means. I want to put that very clearly. So how do we do this? Well, throughout the Old Testament and throughout this series, we're going to have um, a, a kind of practicing this. There's three steps that I think are super, super helpful steps for us to take when we're reading the Old Testament to make sure that we're reading it the way that God intended us. So number one, the first step we take when we're reading the Old Testament is we ask this question. What did it mean for its original audience? Okay, so we're thinking here an Israelite. What did it mean for an Israelite? Now I hope it's very clear today what it means for an Israelite. 
Learn from your past. Sin equals death. Look to God's grace. He doesn't give up on his promises or his people. And remember that life in the future, your confidence is based in what God has done. That's what it means for an Israelite. Whatever they're about to do, whatever tomorrow brings, it's grounded in those things. Okay, now that's clear. We see that here. That's what it means for its original audience. Step number two, though, is we go, what does this mean for Jesus? Or how does this point us to Jesus? Or how is this fulfilled in Jesus? Now, the reason we do this is because Jesus, at the end of the book of Luke, when he appeared and was walking on the road of Emmaus, he said that the whole Bible was about him. The whole Bible, the Old Testament's all about Jesus. And so it's worth asking this question, how does this point us to Jesus? Because before the Old Testament is for us, it's for Jesus. So how does this point us to Jesus? Well, if Israel needed to be confident, move, confident moving forward because of God's actions in the past, that's exactly what Jesus needed as well. He had to be confident in the Father's actions as he moved forward because of what he'd done in the past. He had to be confident. Now, there's this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where we see this. So if you know the story, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's about to die, and he prays to the Father. And there's this beautiful picture where he prays three times, and he's feeling the sting of the future. He knows that death is coming for him. But he prays and he weeps and he cries out to God and he says, take this cup from me. The cup of wrath, the punishment for sin. He says, I don't want to do it. Take it away from me. But then he finishes the prayer and he says, but not my will, yours. God in the presence and the potential of death trusted the Father. And he said, I don't really want to go for it, but, but I trust you, not my will, but yours. And so what did Jesus do? Well, he went out of that garden with confidence in his father because of how God has acted in the past. And he went to death and he drank the cup of wrath and he took on the enemies of sin and death and he died and he was buried in that tomb. And as he was buried in that tomb, no one gave him a chance of overcoming that. Just like no one gave Israel a chance of overcoming Sihon and Og and yet we know the story, we know what happened. The father raised him back to life. Jesus defeated the great enemies of sin and death. He went through that. But do you see how he went through that? His confidence was in the God of the universe, the God he had watched act in the past. And so he could go forward trusting his Father. Right, so that's how it points us to Jesus. So step one, Old Testament, original audience. Step two, how does this point us to Jesus? And then step three, what does this mean for us in light of who we are in Jesus. And I think here's what it means for us. You see, when we trust in Jesus, and if you've never done that, I want to invite you to put your trust in Jesus today because there's something so beautiful about this. When we trust in Jesus, He forgives us of our sin and He takes the punishment for our sin. So sin no longer leads to death in Jesus. But we're not just saved from our sin, we're adopted into His family, where the Father is our Father. This is what it means for us. We now have God the Father who's our Father. And what that means is then when we're reading Deuteronomy, we can redeem one of these verses. And, and it's verse chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 31, where he just dropped this line that's so beautiful and so wonderful because it says this, There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. And as we consider this, we know that God the Father is our Father because of who we are in Jesus. And what that means then is this verse is our verse. 
This becomes ours. And we can be confident in this, not just because of Egypt or the wilderness of Sihon and Og, but because Jesus overcame sin and death. And so this verse then is our verse. And, and this is why it's so important, because when we're thinking about the future, this is so helpful for us. Right? When we're considering the uncertainty or the unknown of what comes next, it's such a beautiful reality to know that whatever happens, God is going to carry us. You see, I know that for many of us today, as we're considering what comes next, that there is a lot of uncertainty around. Right? It just feels like that kind of season for so many of us. So many conversations that I've been having lately is just about the uncertainty, the anxiety, the stress of what is going to happen tomorrow. This verse gives us such an amazing tool to get through whatever comes at tomorrow because the imagery is so rich and so beautiful. God is saying like a father carries his son. Now, I know that, you know, that imagery is not that hard to find. Even looking now, I can see many of our parents holding their babies. This has been an experience, though, that I've been able to have in the last little while with our baby Poppy. And um, in the morning, she loves going for a walk. So we chuck her in our carrier. I chuck her in the carrier, and we go for a walk. Now, she loves it. And uh, this week, as we were going for a walk in the morning, um, it was pretty early, and I was a little bit out of it. And I had my earphones in and turned this corner where this dog, all of a sudden, like right next to me, just barked at me. <laughs> and I jumped and grabbed onto Poppy, obviously, and, but jumped and then looked at the dog and it was this tiny little dog. It was so small. Even if the fence wasn't there, it wouldn't have done any damage. But um, so there's no shame in that, right? It was loud. And so, so I'd, I was scared of a little dog. But, but then obviously, you know, when I realized we were okay, I looked at Poppy to make sure she was okay. And just this beautiful moment, so her, like, her lips started to drop. And she started to quiver a little bit. And it's, I know she was upset, she was scared, but it's so cute. And so she's, she's got this quiver, her lip drops. But, but in that moment, right, because she's in the carrier, one of the good things about those carriers is like they're so close to you. And so her lip drops and she starts to quiver, but I just like wrap her up in my arms and I'm like, it's all right, we're okay. Daddy was scared, but there's nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> I got you, we're fine. And she was, the lip went back to normal and we went and looked at some birds and she was sweet. And it was just that moment, right, where she was okay. Now after it, we got home and I was just thinking about it, like why is it that for Poppy, that moment for her, why is it that she didn't crack it? Why is it that she didn't, the, the fear of the unknown, the fear, the potential of what was going to come, why is it that that didn't mess with her? I think it's because for her, we are her safe space. And in a carrier, she's so close. And so that, that's as close as she gets to safety. Like, you can't get any closer. And because I'm there, the presence of me being there is what calms her and soothes her. It's what gives her peace in that moment. She knows that she's safe there. Now, the, the craziness of this is this is the imagery God is giving us. Now, this isn't just an imagery I'm coming up with. This is the language that he uses. Like a father carries his son. And, and you see what this means? He's saying he's that close to you. He's that close to you. 
Right? See, God is not like this far-off, absent God. He's not a distant father. He's not a father that won't pick up his phone or won't care when you're going through stuff. No, he's this close to you. And, and the picture we have here is that whatever comes next, God will carry you through it. Like a father carries his son. You see, I know that this morning as we consider the future that there is so much going on. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much unknown. But whatever comes, God will carry us through it. Now, I also know that this morning, many of us have had this experience in the past. You know, the beautiful thing about a church community is so many of us have had this experience that when we look at the past, at kind of those moments in our life that were the most difficult, we could tell you about how God carried us through that. I'd love to encourage you after the service today, maybe we could actually talk about this. And maybe we could ask people around a coffee, have you ever had a moment where God carried you through a difficult moment? What was that like? And there's a question there that we can ask about the past. But you see, as we're thinking about this, this is not just about the past, this is about the future. So whatever's going to come for us, right? whether it's uncertainty of family situations, whether it's the difficulty of the present moment, whether it's our health that we're worried about, whether it's the anxiety of what the next move in this pandemic means for us, whether it's work stress, work unknowns, work uncertainties, whether you've got family who's lost and you just don't know what to do next, or whether you're just doing your best to get through the present day. And, and the idea of the future is just something that's too far because the present day, you're just... How do I get through today? But you see, wherever we fit in that, whatever it is, the uncertainties, the unknowns of what tomorrow may bring, we have to see what God is inviting us to see here. That we can be confident that He's going to carry us through that. And we can be confident because of what happened in Egypt, because of what happened in the wilderness, because of what happened to Sihon and Og, but especially because of what happened at the cross where Jesus overcame sin and overcame death, and so that we can know that whatever tomorrow brings, even if everything falls apart, that God is not absent in that moment. He's this close to us. And He will be there with you in whatever tomorrow brings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that we get to call You Father that in Jesus we get brought into the family of God. We thank you so much that, God, you are powerful and mighty and awesome, but you're also close. Father, while we consider what happens next, while we consider the uncertainty of tomorrow and the unknown of what comes next, we pray, Father, that our strength in this would be the fact that you are a God who promises to carry us through it. Help us in those moments to look up, to pray, and like Jesus before us, to cry out to you. Lord, we may weep or quiver or cry or yell or shout and, and say, take it away from us, but we pray that at the end of it, we'd know that you're holding us close. Like a father carries his son, and we pray that this would be our strength and our joy in those most difficult moments. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.